want the old Skype back. Grinding the crack. <laughs> There's so there are so many things I think of when I hear that. That was kind of my point. So many things I think of when I hear that. All right, we all have to wake up. We're doing a podcast. Uh, that's all I <laughs> Well, this is just not going to go well. That's, that first sip of a brown bottle with an adult beverage inside, and I'm ready. Ah, uh, okay. That's what I'm doing here. I, uh, sunset wheat, what do you got? Uh, i got Boulevard Unfiltered Wheat. What the uh, heck I, is Boulevard Brewing Brewing yeah. Company. Uh-huh. Uh, they make an unfiltered wheat that uh, I like it better than most wheat beers. Uh, what What does unfiltered mean? Means there's sediment in the bottom, and that's a good and thing. It's a good thing, but you got to remember to tip the bottle upside down for about a minute, gently, and then stand it back up and for you know thirty seconds, and then open it so that the the sediment will uh, distribute itself throughout the brew. That way you taste it. It adds some flavor to it. So it's not the same thing as when my coffee maker screws up and I get coffee grounds in the bottom of my cup. Uh, yeah, it, no, it's a little different in that the, the, the unfiltering part of this process is intentional. Yeah. I see. Okay. Jeb, what are you drinking? I'm drinking ice water, actually. Ooh. Um, the grown-up yeah. of the group. Yeah. It's always good that we have a grown-up in the room. Well, it's so rare. <laughs> and rare. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we've started. You realize we've started. No, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we have. We have. So I had a we, feeling. Now that we've got the beer out of the way... I'm not even sure if I categorize this as an airplane, all right? The, the slug line here is finally something Dave won't fly. And I'm guessing he wouldn't fly it. But I'm also, I don't think it even qualifies for the category because it's not really an airplane. It's not really even flying. Well, it's not. It's, it, at best, it's a parachute. Right. At, so at what we're wor- talking about. At worst, it, at worst, it's just falling. Yes. With, what we're with, talking with about here track. is the video that just about everybody's seen of a guy who's wearing this Rocky the Flying Squirrel outfit. All right. Jim and, Corliss is his name. Okay. And, uh, and he likes to jump off of cliffs and glide with these little Rocky the Flying Squirrel wings um, down to near the ground and then pops his parachute and goes the rest of the way, which, by the way, that also disqualifies him. Um, yeah, although well, although there's that guy with the jet pack thing that jumps out of airplanes and he completes the flight by parachuting. So I don't know. It's a it's a, a push. Anyways, yeah, this, there was an AC once that said you didn't have to license this stuff if you could foot launch and foot land it. <laughs> is that what it is? I see. OK, <laughs> um, so this guy. But this particular video, and I think we've seen a number of videos from this guy over the over the past couple of years. Right. This one is particularly nuts, if you ask me. Yeah. yeah. Um, this guy is he's, like he, he he's he's developed his feel. For this, and this is a this is like an inflatable suit. Uses ram air like a ram air parachute to blow it up yeah. and create way more lifting area, including some some of it controllable by 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 the the pilot, quote unquote. Uh, but it, it's an all downhill ride going like a bat out of hell. Yeah, and but you know, and, and he's comfortable enough in it now. He's flown it enough. That he's starting to do crazy things. Yes, like, that's my point you know, exactly. Right. Shoot, yeah. shoot the gap between cracks. Yeah. 
And nobody I know has ever done anything like that in an airplane or a hang glider or an ultralight. Never, ever. No, nobody I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think you're being facetious now. But uh, um, oh, that's when the yellow that. light comes on, right? Yeah, that's right. Don't, yeah. Don't spoil it. Yeah. So, uh, but this one, he was like zooming along close to these, you know, not, not just simply close to uh, like the cliff walls. He was going between these narrow, you know, uh-huh. yeah. sections, thus the name Grinding the Crack, I believe. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there was that one little segment in the video where there was a guy holding, you know, they were basically going to do the kind of Sean Tucker ribbon cut thing, right? right. And, and yeah, the guy he had was, a little helium balloon up there. And the guy was holding the balloon, and it appeared to me that, that, Rocky the flying, flying squirrel guy here uh, came so close that he freaked out the balloon holder because the balloon Thank holder right. yeah. dove yeah. at the last second. You know, it's like look out! All right, and yeah, so much for his reaction time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So uh, um, I, I just, you know, I mean, I'm all in favor of people. Well, I'm not in favor exactly, but it's okay if people want to do <laughs> wild and crazy things. But this really, this is this is beyond the veil, if you ask me. This is just, I'm not. Yeah, this is way outside anything Steve Martin ever meant in yeah, Wild. Yeah, Creek. yeah, yeah, and 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 I don't like it characterized as flying because it's going to come back and haunt us one day when when this guy hurts well, himself. It's not flying, it, uh, and I don't like it being characterized as flying. Like I, Jeff I said, at I, best, I, it's I, it's. I, I gotta beg to differ to a certain extent here. No, what how, what makes it flying? Well, first off, there's 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 a an, a lifting surface, an airfoil involved. And the guy does have control over the direction he's going, left to right, and a little bit of speed control. So parachuting is flying, you're saying? Well, parachuting is parachuting. But when you're in free fall, baby, you're flying. This is more like skydiving than it is flying. That's my thought, yeah. too, Jeb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is more closely related to that. You know, yeah, this, this it's is, like this really is, long glide ratio base right, jumping. Right. right. Yeah, this, yeah, this, I, this, this is just a high drag fall. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, episode title right there. Hi. <laughs> um, but so. more, more power to him, dude. I, I, I just, you know, I doubt seriously that Mr. Corliss spends much time listening to uncontrolled airspace. Oh, I'm sure. I'm but sure. if he should happen to dip into episode, what are we, 253 here, about five minutes in, he will hear Dave Higdon offer personal testament to the damage disruption and pain of a sudden stoppage right right. yeah that would be bad yeah and 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 mine was only from like 45 miles an hour to nothing oh wait a minute david i'm sorry you're being more than just poetic here you're you're this something happened what happened i just made you guys are like in and out you guys just made me spill my beer all right okay i'm good david did you you came to a stop from 45 miles an hour what happened David, Hello. David, yeah. well, Dave, can you hear sometimes me Sometimes I hear you, and sometimes I don't. See, we hear you just fine. I really wish it was the other way around. But um, So you said that you came to a sudden stop from 45 miles an hour. Yeah, my, my sudden stop was from just, just right around 45 miles an hour to zero in, you know, in such a small fraction of a second that I forgot to hit the stopwatch button. Uh, no, no, come on. you got to give us more details than this. What the heck were you doing? Uh, I was crash landing a hang glider on a rock face at Henson's Gap outside uh, Dunlap, Tennessee. Okay. It Which was does end, qualify. It was the end of a stall spin flight. <laughs> stall spin flight. Gene, yet another title. Um, so did you get hurt? 
Is that the uh, one where you went into the trees? Oh, no, I actually walked away from it. Uh, but I did spend 12 days in a hospital in traction because of a compound fracture in my left humerus. Uh, took stitches to close up a place be- above my left eye. And they x-rayed my left ribs four times before they were sure that nothing was broken because they were bruised from the base of my ribs to my armpit so black that you could have sworn that they'd been cooked over a grill and lathered in sauce. <laughs> Dave, 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 this is not humorous. This is I didn't realize you got hurt that bad in any of these things. That's like... I, I apologize for I don't know what I apologize for, but I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 you know it was actually a somewhat controlled landing. Uh, in Twelve that I days had in the, the hospital. Opportunity to pick how I hit. Well, that's a good thing, I guess. Oh, it's a very good thing. Uh, had I not picked how I hit, I would have hit head on at forty-five miles an hour instead of in a uh, a, a climbing. Uh, at a climbing vector where I was slowing down through 45 miles an hour. Uh, and I was going more vertical than horizontal when I hit the rocks. That's uh, called a whip stall, son. A whip stall. <laughs> a whip stall. <laughs> Yet another title. And, and, uh, and yeah, but what, it's, it's, when you're the whip, it's, it's a lot less fun. Yeah, really. It, it, it is a lot less fun, but the base tube of the control bar on my hang glider was the first point of impact as opposed to the nose plate with my head and neck right behind the nose plate. Uh, so well, the control bar hit and folded and then my body hit and folded. What uh, went through your mind when you're about the to back hit. of my helmet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, really? No, seriously. Uh, my, my whole thought through the whole thing, was that I've got to slow this puppy down. There's no way out. You know, get control and slow it down. Uh, so I got it out of the spin. It was an impossible place to continue a full rotation through without dragging one side across the rocks and then tumbling about 275 feet. Uh, that didn't seem good. And hitting head on was a definite no-no because I had friends who had died at that same spot because they hit head on. So, uh, you know, my thought was get it out of the spin, roll it level, and pitch it up. And you got to do it in about four or five seconds. And that's what I, we I was did. thinking. I was thinking more along the lines of, oh, this is going to hurt. Is that, was that your fault? It never thought? entered my mind. Really? Yeah, that's what I was wondering about. I, I've never come, I've never gotten myself in that kind of a situation in an airplane. I was driving my car late one night and hit a patch of black ice on the road and slid into the oncoming lane and was within seconds i was going to hit on another car it was just there was i was out of control and and my and i probably would have died if we had hit uh, i certainly would have been terribly injured because we were going pretty fast and my thought at the time was not like oh i'm gonna die or you know my thought was just like oh man <laughs> <laughs> i don't have insurance to pay for no it wasn't even that no. you know, yeah i know okay oh, you're joking it, it wasn't even that complete it was just kind of like oh man this just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was the first thing that came to mind, basically along those lines, uh, a minute or so after I hit, uh, when I regained cognizance of mm-hmm. my situation. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I saw was the second drop of blood from my eye, the cut over my eye, fall right in my field of view and hit the flap on the parachute container in my harness. And at that instant, I went, oh, man, I broke the glider, and I'm, 
and I'm bleeding. Hey, on the other hand, I'm 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 beeping alive. I'm alive. All right, yeah. All right, all right. Get your butt out. You know, get your butt up on the control bar, unhook, and step to that ledge that's about 18 inches in front of you. Because the glider is planted, pointed nose up, uh, the wind's kind of holding it up against the the, the face, and uh, I reach up with my right arm and snag the bent and and twisted down tube, and I reach up with my left arm and miss. Yeah, really. And I think, wow, man, that was bent farther than I thought. So I looked right at the bar this time and reached, and I still missed. And that's when I noticed the extra pivot point between my elbows. So, didn't hurt. Yet. Yet. And I went, I better stop doing that. I could, I could, you know, damage an artery. I could damage a nerve. Uh, Just bring it down real slowly and holler for help. And I hollered for help. You all right? No, I'm hurt. What's wrong? I got a broken arm. And a different voice says, you sure it's not just dislocated? And I'm like, what the beep difference does it make? Would somebody get down here and kindly help my silly ass off this mountain? Thank you. Well, on that pleasant graphical notion here, that uh, visual, I'll say what? That was for Jeb Corliss here, dude. That's what happens if you miscalculate and have a sudden stop. Yes. Okay. And and, 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 and in your case, the last thing that would go through your mind would be your tennis shoes. Yeah. Years later, you wake up uh, on a bed somewhere on a grass runway. <laughs> Welcome, folks. <laughs> Get another episode. title. Welcome, folks, to episode 253 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, they, now does that say you can't i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight clear land turkey special ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta Oh, joining me here in the virtual hangar tonight, two of my very good friends are, I almost told that story at Acrocamp, David. Um, our, uh, David Higdon is out there. Dave, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. David, I thought we promised we'd never, ever tell that story. Well, um, we haven't. We haven't. <laughs> yes, but how you doing, David? How you doing tonight? I'm doing lovely. Uh, yeah. Been a wonderful weekend. Uh, I only had to devote a, a small amount of time to actually being productive and... Uh, uh, the bride's a little under the weather, uh, hmm. waiting for waiting for a root canal. Oh, uh, yeah, she's not happy. She's not comfortable. So we've just been kind of coasting through the weekend, keeping it close to home. Uh, ran out for some necessary items like beer, Scott. unfiltered beer, right? Yeah, and uh, and then plop down to talk to y'all. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And also here in the hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing tonight, Jeb? I'm doing very well. Thanks again for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, basking in the glow of putting another issue of aviation safety to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting to putter around the house, get some projects tackled. Uh, uh, just kind of taking it easy this weekend. 
next week's going to be fun-filled, I'm sure, but uh, we'll get through it, and yeah. uh, um, looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have the seasons changed down there? I know they've definitely turned here. It's, it definitely feels more fall than summer now. Well, we, we've had we've had a uh, a change in the weather. If 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 you could, uh, I don't know if that qualifies as a seasonal change. Last couple of weeks, it's just been uh, rainy. It would rain every day. You wake up in the morning, it would be cloudy, um, and uh, not a whole lot of sun at all. It would get up to eighty-five or something like that, and that would be about it. It would rain two or three times during the day. Some of it, sometimes it would really get with the program. You'd get, you know, uh, two hour, two inches of rain in like thirty minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, over the this weekend has been um, kind of back to normal. It's not been as humid. You've had we've had some clear skies, uh, especially in the mornings. Uh, it's been hot. It's been you know ninety ish. It's it's eighty nine, I guess, right now. Uh, looking out the, at the window at my thermometer outside. Um, so it, it's kind of toned down a little bit, uh, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, it's still, you know, it's still Florida, and it's still, you know, the, the dregs of the summer. Yeah. It'll it'll be another month or so before we start seeing um, um, fall, as it were. I see. I see. And David, how, how goes it with the triple digit temperatures there? Uh, you know, we hit that number fifty two mark and have never gotten back close to triple digits since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're expecting some middle 90s in the next few days, but uh, it's been actually lovely. You know, 80s, dry, nice breezes, blue skies. A lot of airplanes out in the out and about yeah. this week. Yeah, so yeah, a lot, yeah. lot, lot of activity starting to pick up around here too. And before David has a little conniption here, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from uh, high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire, uh, where, like I mentioned, the, uh, the it's definitely fall now. We'll get some more warm, really hot days, but for the most part now, it's going to be a little bit cooler. So is there a sheriff of Nottingham? There probably is. I don't know. No, well, probably not, because Nottingham's a town. We have sheriffs, I believe, county sheriffs. And uh, So would there be a marshal of Nottingham? Uh, there's there's Joan Marshall. Uh, she lives up the road, and... Uh, you, you you say that very quickly, like maybe you know her. No, no, no I say it very quickly, like I made it up. Right. Um, anyways, all right, airplanes, airplanes. Um, um, yeah. How can you tell? Yeah. The 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 change in the season up there. What happens? Does it start to get cold? Well, I, I, I wouldn't describe it as cold, but it's cooler, you know, and the humidity goes away, and it, the temperature is probably 10, 15 degrees. You know, it's in the 70s instead of in the high 80s and 90s. Um, it, it's really remarkable I, for what, you know, if you're a weather geek, I, I find it remarkable that within the span of a week, it changes from being clearly summer, hot, humid, you know, swimming weather to cooler, still comfortable, but, you know, you're going to put on a light sweater or jacket or something like that you know it's that angle of the sun hitting the ground thing that it gets pretty pronounced there the yep. farther north you go but you wouldn't think there would be such a such a well-defined tipping point in terms of the weather but but there has always oh been. yeah it I, really is yeah i've always noticed it all right they're really screaming at their ipods now we gotta go on here um well i think yeah i was thinking it close out jeb corliss the only thing missing from all the videos they have of this guy is flying that suit is that just before everyone starts, they should play the music from the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Yes, indeed. 
I, I, I bet. I'm sorry. There's a bullwinkle line in there that I can't quite, can't quite, quite bring to mind, but I'm sure there is. Rocky? <laughs> what was that? Anyways, um, bad, bad bullwinkle. So a couple episodes ago, uh, we were talking about the uh, open house that the airport at Pontiac, Michigan was going to be holding. And the press release made reference to the living wall at in the terminal and we go trying to figure out what the living wall might be. And you guys tasked me because I was headed to Michigan the next week for uh, AcroCamp. You tasked me with figuring this out. And although I did not personally make it to Pontiac airport, a couple of the AcroCamp folks did. And I asked them to check this out and they actually sent me a video, a cell phone video that I'm trying to get out and, and to put on the blog. But the living wall is um, it, it's basically a, a wall with with plants growing on it. It's sort of a, of a uh, vertical uh, garden kind of thing, leafy, ivy you know, living wall kind of thing. And uh, apparently it has some sort of, you know, quote-unquote green, you know, uh, a function to it. It, like, freshens the air in the terminal atrium or something like that. And uh, so, right. in fact, I bl- I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to do it right now, let's see, if we do wiki living wall... Oh, man, that's cheating. Uh, Wikipedia has an entry for living wall. Living wall and living walls are common terms to describe a hedge, hedgerow, or wall that is partially or completely covered with vegetation. And wow, on. there's a, 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 even a, a slideshow of the installation of the living wall at Oakland County. Yeah. So. So, so anyways, that's just a follow-up. That's what the living wall is that uh, probably everybody listening on their po- iPods was yelling at their iPods saying, don't you know what a living wall is, you idiots? And uh, this is, But now we do. Now we do. And apparently kind of so cool. That, that, that's a wall you mow and fertilize rather than paint and paper? Yeah, something like that. Uh, let's see now. Since we last gathered here in the virtual hangar, we got a sweet little gift from the Department of Homeland Security. <laughs> um a couple of days after we last recorded, uh, Department of Homeland Security came out with their little warning about how, uh, oh, I don't even, it's, see, I'm, we're all just going to get pissed off here, I know it, all right, because it was, a, it was an annoying thing that they did. They basically said, look out for general aviation aircraft because they could cause you all kinds of trouble. Oh, by the way, we have no credible evidence that there any, but anybody is planning to it's, use it's, a general. It's even, it's even more insidious than that. Yeah. Um, here, the title to this is Al-Qaeda and the Threat to General Aviation. Not the Threat of General Aviation. The Threat to General Aviation. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the, the first graph is Al-Qaeda and its affiliates have maintained an interest in obtaining aviation training, particularly on small aircraft, and recruiting, da 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 um, Goes on... Um, uh, as of early 2011, Al-Qaeda considered, considered options for targeting the aviation sector, possibly leaving such, option, such operations would have a greater impact than the other types of attacks. But basically what they're saying is U.S. general aviation is an attractive target, okay? As in, it, rather than targeting a World Trade Center or a Pentagon, they're going to target general aviation, which doesn't resonate very well. It doesn't make a whole lot of, a, a whole lot of sense. And then they say, oh, and by the way, not only can you be a target, but you can be a tool. And the whole thing is like, come on, guys. Are are you just phoning this in now or what? Um, Well, the cynic in me thinks that they they needed something to make it look like they were protecting us. Exactly. With the 10th anniversary coming along. The the first paragraph of this puppy 
the Joint Intelligence Bulletin that was uh, made available through the good graces of somebody tapping EAA to get the whole copy. But this page, you know, opening page, unclassified for official use only. So now that we've got the disclaimer out of the way, this, uh, this bulletin addresses threats related to the use of small aircraft as weapons but does not address chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear threats to aviation. <sighs> yeah, I know. I know. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't address um, killer mutant sharks jumping out of the water near airports and biting airplanes either. Which has happened to David, not sharks, alligators, right? Mm. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I, I don't know what there is to say about this. It was very, very disturbing. I, it it, it kind of turned out to be a non-thing. Um, I was really discouraged when I first saw it, and I thought, oh, man, we're going to have to fight this battle now, and this is going to become a thing. And it kind of hasn't become a thing that I can tell. Have you heard any reports from airports that, that anybody's being, you know... Around the D.C. area here over the weekend, uh, there has been, as I understand that I've not been there, but... Uh uh, what I'm told, uh, there's been um, increased uh, law enforcement presence. Uh, what they're doing and, and why they're doing it, I'm not sure. I think they're they're checking documents. I'm I'm also led to believe the FAA may have been doing some ramp checks at some other airports over the weekend. Um, <sighs> I've got to congratulate the uh, the the authors of this you know, document for once again. Managing to construct a piece of uh, of uh, official information that is so conflicted and senseless as to be next to useless, and you know, lines like Al Qaeda appears to have considered renting private airplanes for use in attacks, believing supervision would be lax due to the large number of private aircraft. Uh, I'm sorry, and you're going to rent that from whom? Yeah, it's not like you slide up at the drive-through ATM machine, slip your card in the machine, and get the keys to an airplane with nobody around to check who you are, your ID, and all this stuff. Uh, this stuff would have been really useful about five hundred and twenty-one weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but I let's let it go. I guess I, I I don't know what there is to say about this. It's just, yeah, I mean. But we need to defend ourselves, I guess. Well, somehow we need to. Yeah, I think I think part of it here. The thing that really struck me is is this is the same crapola that we saw back in '02 and '03, and uh, everybody else has moved on. Everybody else has moved on from this, and and uh, they're they're still stuck in this in this uh, the same trench that they were in, and uh, they got to get out of it, and and we got to get them out of it somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, okay, they, David, go ahead. They they say one thing here that has a remote uh, a kernel of reality in it. Unauthorized use and thefts of small planes show potential threat to the homeland. Uh, it's no secret that in parts of the Caribbean, uh, in parts of North America, south of the United States border, or along the United States border, that general aviation aircraft continued to be a theft target. 
continues to happen. The Aviation Theft Bureau continues to field these reports and pass them on and publicize them. And I would warrant that the the uh, majority of those aircraft are not being pressed into terrorism service, or we would have certainly seen something by now, but are going a long way to maintaining the cross-border uh, illicit drug traffic that we know goes on. Um, but I don't see a fraction of the efforts to warning us about how secure our airplanes from theft for drug runners. Uh, this nondescript stuff that, oh, we could be a, you know, they may steal our airplane and they may use it against us. That's right. They may rent a freaking truck and use it against us. They may steal a truck and use it against us. They may go down to the car lot and legitimately buy a truck and use it against us. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Moving. let's you know, move on. Let's every move on. Last, last All right, Jeb, you finish it up here. Last comment. Every time I see some nonsense like this, I always think back to the Monty Python skit where they're training uh, to defend themselves against uh, someone attacking them with a piece of fruit. Yeah, I don't know okay. this one. Yeah. Well, it's it's it was it was back in the day of the the uh, um, the dead parrot. It was it was, an, it was also fairly popular. But that was you know, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, but uh, you know, if someone attacks you with a banana. What are you going to do? Well, that's this is this is this is attacking with a banana. That's what it sounds. I'd like to make, but I, I don't know. The whole thing. Uh, no, is that's just, an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting way of character characterizing it. I could. I can work with that. I think actually. Uh, All right. I don't, I don't know. We are going to move on now. Um, yes. Except I don't know what we're moving on to. Uh, David, you put an item on the list, and the little slug here is WSU launches online report site for type clubs. But the link you gave us takes us to what appears to be a a mock up, the right flyer club. I guess is a very very uh, specific type club, but uh, what? Uh, well, if you look at the uh, if you look at the about us, the news resources, member services, the Wright Flyer Club is okay. Background here: Wichita State has as part of its uh, uh, institutions uh, the National Institute for Aviation Research. Uh, the Institute does wind tunnel testing. They work, do uh, research work on composites. Uh, they run a crash sled for testing seats and fuselage sections. Uh, they can do drop tests, sled tests. Uh, a very sophisticated organization, does a lot of work on contract, does a lot of work with the FAA. Uh, one of their projects over the last decade has involved buying and disassembling bit by bit some of the more uh, intensely used piston twins of the last 40 or 50 years. Airplanes that saw a lot of commercial uses, charter flying uh, overnight cargo, flying uh, you know, passengers, flying freight and mail, uh, stuff that had a lot of cycles, a lot of hours, and documenting the fatigue damage. Now they've gotten involved with uh, an FAA goal, which is to improve access to information for people with orphaned airplanes. Uh, now that there's regulations allowing the FAA to share stuff from uh, abandoned type certificates, the National Institute of Aviation Research wants to help by providing some 
web-based tools and a database and helping type clubs. Like if you're a Luscom owner or right. a Taylorcraft owner, mm-hmm. you belong to a club. They want to provide a way for clubs or for groups that don't have a user club to share maintenance information, service bulletins, and stuff like that in a more direct manner, as well as to collect those reports and help get ahead with, you know, hey, folks, you may want to look out for this because we've had five reports of this in the last six months. The Right Flyers Club is their made-up template for one of those kind of organizations. And if you read at the bottom, yeah. the Right Flyers Club is fictitious. Yes, that I did catch. It yeah. was just a sample. It was a uh, yeah. Right, well, that sounds look- great. So, and is there information there somewhere for any po- you know uh, uh, potential type clubs to uh, sign up for this service? You know, that's the funny thing about this. I haven't been able to find something. They've got a member services page where you log in, and all the pages take you to that same login. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure, but I would contact the National Institute of Aviation Research directly, and I believe I'll have the link to you here. The National Institute of Aviation Research? Yeah, it's the same link, just take off all the stuff after the slash. So it's www.niar.wichita.edu. So Wichita State University. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll figure out a good link and we'll put it in the show notes, um, or people can probably figure it out for themselves here. But it sounds like a great service, actually, now that I understand yeah. better what it is they're offering. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. And the uh, while I understand why they did the uh, why they did the uh, the, the mock website, uh, the, the Right Flyers Club, uh, it by itself doesn't provide enough information to kind of bring you up to speed on what this is all about. So, right. yeah, okay. Yeah, take a look at that, and uh, if you if you potentially have a uh, want to create a type club, maybe you have some some obscure aircraft type that needs a gathering place on the web. Well, and, and you know, I can tell you from the time we owned Comanche and the Cherokee before that, Jeb can certainly tell you uh, with the Bonanza and the Beach Users groups that are out there that there's just you know th- th- those kind of organizations and interacting with them are just priceless resources for useful information to help keep you help keep you from spending more money than you need to missing things that you shouldn't and uh you know getting the most out of that airplane that you've invested yourself in yeah good Mm -hmm. stuff good stuff from the forums uh listener uh ruckin who we've heard from in the past uh and uh, is always pointing us to in the direction of interesting things has called our attention to, uh, we, we were talking uh, in the last, I don't know, month or a couple months or so about airports near the Canadian border. And uh, he says, with all the talk about airports that are near the Canadian border, how about a runway that crosses the border? Along the northern border of Washington State is A.V. Field, he writes, uh, 6-9er Sierra. And one end of the runway is in Canada, and the other end is in the United States. If you go to the AirNav page that he provides a link to, um, and uh, and actually, I further went on to the uh, Google map of the airport. You very clearly see that the uh, final, oh, I don't know, you know, one-fifth of the runway, the northern fifth of the runway, is has crossed the border into Canada. I just can't, I guess... That's, that's got to drive customs and immigration. <laughs> I know, the TSA Crazy. guys must lose their minds. Um, I know. Oh, yeah. 
You know, you will notice, by the way, the run-up area is in the United States. The run-up area is just south of the border, so to speak. And uh, so you, you taxi down from the from the ramp. You do go into the run-up area, which is in the U.S. You do your run-up. I'm just speculating here now. Um, then once you're ready to go, you back taxi a little bit further into Canada, where you then turn around at the end of the runway. This assumes that you're taking off to the south. And... Uh, Wow, you could get your passport stamped a lot just getting in and out of that place. I know. With whom do you file a flight plan? You know, the mind boggles. The mind boggles. Canadian and U.S. Customs available on the highway to the west. Okay. United States-based aircraft should park on U.S. side of ramp. (laughs) And Canadian-based aircraft should park on north side. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's great. That's so, uh, well, and, and this is not, you know, this is not your, your, your everyday run of the mill. Yeah, we are all going to go there someday. Airstrip, uh, if I'm reading this correctly. Yeah. One, one, seven, three, five. It's at about, what did I say? 1600 feet above sea level. Uh, where is it here? Um, yeah, it's here someplace. Where is it? 1655. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Not even two thousand feet long. Yeah, it's nice. And it's gravel. Yeah, well, those smugglers are good at landing on these kinds of runways, so it's okay. I was, I was going to say that's a bush. That's a bush pilot's yeah. uh, dream. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what kind of vehicle the customs people need just to navigate the place. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to zoom way out here on the map and see where, what's it near? It's like, it's obviously right up there on the Canadian border. Appears to be in the sort of northeast corner of Washington State. So, uh, pretty country, that's for sure. But uh, Oh, it's gorgeous. Right there along the river. And the photo that's on the AirNav page, uh, from the looks of it, you can actually see where the border intersects the runway. Yeah. 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 yeah this is... Um, it's Avi Field State Airport, according to AirNav, or as I'm going to call it, Avi International Airport. And, I wonder if mm-hmm. the signage on that northern one-fifth has to be in French and English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, I suppose everything's IKO now, so uh, the, you know all the signage is probably standardized anyways. They, but, uh, they were lining up and waiting before anybody else. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, they were lining up and waiting it for, if they were leaving from one end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, we want to hear from uh, we we need to hear from a listener who has personal you know eyewitness yeah. experience yeah. with this airport because we need to we need the we need these answered these questions answered, and uh, so Inqui- inquiring minds. Inquiring minds. That's right. That's right. Merci beaucoup. Yeah. So uh, what else? Uh, uh, someone. Oh, I know who it was. Um, um, Roger Bishop from Indie Transponder. We were all hanging out at Acro Camp a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was sort of watching over his shoulder as he did his daily, you know, finding all the stories for Indie Transponder. And uh, um, and I saw this picture, and I made a note of it. Um, this is a uh, an airplane. Looks like a 150-ish airplane um, that uh, that made a forced landing on a residential street in Germany. And uh, you know, ah, I guess did Lieber. Did a decent job, I guess. Let's see now. Firefighters and rescuers stand near a Cessna sport plane, they call it, in the city of Stockstadt, uh, Germany. Um, Amman. I'm not sure. I'm terrible at this stuff. I apologize. Uh, pilot 
of the private plane, clipped the side of a house and a lamppost while guiding his Cessna into an emergency landing on a 16-foot-wide residential street in western Germany. Uh, police say... Wow. Police say no residents were injured and that the 47-year-old pilot and his co-pilot suffered minor injuries in the crash. Looks like a 172 to me. You think? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Hard to tell. Hard it's a little small. I, I, would, I would guess so. And it's, a, it's an older one if it is because it's got the wing mount yeah. uh, landing light. Yeah. That, that cowl and that spinner. Yeah. Uh, the stretch and the wheel pant that I can see in the left. Uh, boy, that's... Assessment. That airplane's got a little tweak to the aft fuselage too. Do you notice that? Yeah, yeah. No, got, yeah. Yeah. no that's <laughs> there's, that's going to turn right really there's, easily. There's not a whole lot on that airplane that's not tweaked after that. <laughs> yeah, one. I know. Yeah, but, yeah, it really is. But the good thing is, the, the, it looks like the the pilot and co-pilot. You know, they they got some bang. They got banged up, but uh, um, I should be fine. Yeah. So congratulations but, to them. I guess that's our off-field landing of the week, right there. Uh, from, that, that's uh, that. That would be an off-field landing of the month. I mean, yeah. look at that photograph. Snaking that puppy into yeah. that place. I'm hoping that the road wasn't quite as crowded as that when he was trying to land. There's a lot of tree, a lot I of. I bet the parking yeah. was. I a bet lot. you the parking was. Yeah, you're probably right. There was cars parked along the side of the street there. So, uh, anyways, good job to uh, to this pilot in uh, uh, and and co-pilot. I'm making little finger quotes. Uh, now we hope stop. that you were able to find a beer somewhere close by. Yeah, probably, huh? Probably. Okay, let's see now. You know, here's a story. This is the story, I swear, this is a story that has defined the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. I think we talked about this story in the very first episode, or certainly one of the first couple. And we've been talking about this story for five years now. FAA funding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, hang, hang on, I need, to, I, I need to drag in that hostage that I took a while ago, so I got somebody to beat Yes. Uh, you know, I just don't even want to try and explain where we are now. Where are? Can one of you guys explain where we are now? Has something really changed in the last couple weeks? No. No, no. The only, the only thing that's really changed, is, well, let's, let's, we've got to back up here. Okay. And, and we've got to go back to um, um, the, the late July time frame, just before uh, AirVenture, when um, the House and the Congress failed to pass uh, an extension of the FAA's trust fund operations and, and authorizing, um, um, well, let me back up, failed to pass uh, legislation authorizing uh, the FAA and authorizing its programs and the, uh, the trust fund and airline ticket tax and all this kind of thing. And uh, that turned into a, a huge, um, I'm not sure what the correct, I don't know what the family-oriented term is, um, a disagreement. How about that? It turned into a very big disagreement. Yes. Uh, with uh, Republicans in the House uh, basically saying, um, this is take it or leave it. And of course, it was unpalatable, so it was left, and uh, FAA shut down. Uh, that lasted a couple of weeks um, early on. Cost August. us $400 million out of the trust fund. Cost, cost millions of dollars, not only in. Um, it lost revenue uh, from the expiration of the airline ticket tax, uh, but also from um, you know uh, discontinued uh, construction projects, uh, delays in those construction projects, um, because there was no money coming in, there was no authorization to pay out more money uh, to pay for those projects. They had to shut down. They had to stop work. 
and um, there were airport inspectors and, and other employees who were either laid off or um, some of them actually continued to work but uh, without pay. Some of them continued to travel on their own nickel uh, with the expectation they would get reimbursed. Um, here we are now in, in, in early September, and it's uh, September 16, I believe, is the deadline. Yeah, that's the, the expiration next, date uh, on that. The, the expiration date of the, of the one that they, of, of the extension that they, they finally came to grips with uh, in August. Um, and it's, it's unclear, but it seems that a clean version of this extension without all the dogs and cats that uh, proved unpalatable uh, on both sides of the hill uh, will be the vehicle to extend the FAA, not, you know, for several years, but again, just for a few months. Nevertheless, um, that sounds like progress. Well, basically, um, um, John Micah, the chairman of the House Transportation Infrastructure but No, Committee, no, that's blinked. not progress. All right, hang on. Let it's Jeb not, finish, and then, Jeb, you can go. Yeah, basically, or, Micah. Uh, Jeb, go first. Micah blinked, and uh, he's putting forth a clean uh, extension without all the dogs and cats that, that uh, resulted in the shutdown uh, back in, in July. Um, and uh, there, is, there are signs that um, uh, it will be voted on this week, this coming week, maybe by the time uh, our listeners hear this, uh, and uh, this will be a done deal at least as far as another short-term extension. But at the same time, we're still back in the same position we were more than five years ago when we started this podcast, where Congress uh, has and, and, and the administration have failed to come up with uh, an, uh, a long-term plan for the funding and the priorities of the Federal Aviation Administration. And it's just not acceptable. Yeah. It's, Dave, it's just not good. David, you were going to say you don't think it's progress. Uh, no, I don't think it's progress. It's the 22nd fracking extension. Uh, this is ludicrous. These are supposed to be grown-ups in Congress doing our business. And what they've done is agreed to a temporary clean extension without all the extraneous bull that these guys want to drag into it to grind different axes. They're going to put that grinding off until next year when they're in the midst of their re-election campaign. Uh, and you think it's going to be any more workable next year to, to, to get a, a good bill clean? And on top of that, this extension that they're proposing, uh, it's not a done deal yet, cuts AIP funding 5%. Because, quote-unquote, we have a budget crisis and a deficit problem. Well, I'm sorry, kiddies, but AIP funding is not part of that crisis. It's not part of that problem. doesn't contribute to it, doesn't have a role in it, and doesn't need to be subject to the same moronic mindset that everything else is. That, oh, everything's got to shrink because, no, stuff that pays its way should be allowed to spend what they get paid. Yeah. David, briefly, what is AIP funding? Airport Improvement Program funds. That's where a lot of the trust fund money goes to improve our airports, let little airports build new taxiways, let big airports build new runways, uh, improve terminals, expand 
uh, airports, those airport construction prog- programs that got suspended when the FAA's funding authority was temporarily lost, that kind of stuff. That's all funded by the aviation fuel taxes and the airline passenger taxes and the cargo way bill taxes. If that's keeping up and generating a surplus, then these numbnuts need to be putting the money toward funding the projects. That's the way the law is set up. That's the way it's read. That's what should be done. Cutting the funding because everything else is in your crisis mode to fit your political agendas. Uh, you know, you guys either need to get out of the office or grow up and do your jobs. But a 23rd extension is what we're looking at next year because they won't want to do it just before an election and maybe give one side or the other an extra margin of, uh, of, of got something done. Yeah. Jeb, final last word? I can't add anything to that. Okay. Um, so I came across this story a couple weeks ago, and it's kind of been lurking on the list, but I, I really want to bring this up. This is a, a, from a story in General Aviation News. Um, it appears to be – well, it's about uh, John King, um, the John King who we like to – or at least I like to make a little fun of, but who with his wife Martha has done some great things for aviation in terms of training programs and whatnot. And, um, and he was interviewed – I'm looking for the money quote here. But uh, basically his message was forget about safety. Do you know the story I'm talking about, you guys? He says, everyone says, he says, uh, let's see now, uh, the quote, we kill too many people in general aviation. With that, John King opened an Oshkosh press conference in which he told a room packed with reporters and officials at Cessna, Avemco, insurance company, other companies, that if it was up to him, he'd ban the word safety when talking about aviation. Quote, everyone says that safety is number one priority, but if that's true, how do you ever start the engine of an airplane, he said. Quote, there's always a trade-off between utility and risk. The key is managing the risk. If you want 100% safety, stay on the ground. So I guess actually that kind of says it right there. But he, he seems to think that, I don't know exactly what he says, what he thinks here. Well, is he, you know, do you know? Do you, what he's, yeah, I mean, this is, what he's saying is, is kind of, you know, um, um, pimping uh, one of my day jobs here. But uh, the, the magazine I edit, Aviation Safety, uh, that's the whole premise behind it. It's, look, um, if you want absolute safety, stay home, stay in front of the television, although you can probably die of you know, a heart attack or uh, uh, you know, something else. Asteroid. Um, yeah. Satellite. Yeah, an asteroid will come, come crashing through. Or you know, someone will attack you with a banana. Um, but um, um, if you want to go fly, there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything there is to do uh, in an airplane. Um, you know... Um, don't fly VFR into IMC. Don't do low-level maneuvering. Um, don't um, um, fly into thunderstorms. Um, have plenty of fuel on board. You know all of these things. If you if you if you look at the totality of accidents out there, and there's you know some dumb pilot tricks, and there's you know um, uh, fate is the hunter kinds of things going on out there too. But um, if, you, if you refuse to, to do low-level maneuvering, if you refuse to fly into a thunderstorm, or if you refuse to fly in bad weather, if you refuse to, to do scud running, if you refuse to um, uh, fly VFR into IMC, um, chances are you're going to have a successful flight. Mm-hmm. And what what John King is talking about here is, you know, let's 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 think. There, yes, there's always a trade-off between utility and risk. The key is managing 
the risk. Okay, so th- there's there's risk from going aloft in an in an aircraft. Um, it's slightly more risk than say uh, riding a motorcycle or or driving fast in a car or something like that. Uh, but if you really want to increase that risk, then go f- go really low to the ground and fly really fast and start turning. If you want to really want to increase that risk some more, uh, do it at night. You know, so. So what we're talking about here is we know the things that people will do with an airplane or pe- people will do to an airplane that will result in an accident, will result in injury, will result in fatalities. Don't do those things. Yeah, yeah. It's really simple. Yeah, how many times have we written a story? Uh, well, they, they tried to get into the airport three times. And decided that even though conditions were worse, that maybe the fourth time would be the one that would succeeded. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, well, I'd been, he'd had some instrument training when he flew VFR into that blinding rainstorm and, and got all upside down and wound up, you know, in a farm field. Uh, or the other high probability uh, repeat producer. Uh, Investigators could find no fuel in either tank. Right. Don't do those things, and your percentage of your your prospects for survival, happy long life, go way up. Yeah, yeah. In in this interview uh, that uh, John and apparently Martha was there as well, were conducting. uh, One of the things that they were promoting um, was something called the Redbird Skyport. Uh, He says uh, that the in talking about all the safety stuff, he says that's why we're excited about the new Redbird Skyport, a research and development lab that Redbird Flight Simulations plans to open in November at uh, San Marcos Airport in Texas. Quote, it will explore the edges of the envelope. Uh, he says, uh, now we are teaching people, he says, now we are teaching people to pre-flight things that don't really matter, like checking the aileron hinges, because that's the way we've been doing it for years. But he says, Accidents are caused by things that are going on between the ears of the pilot. And so uh, some interesting stuff here. Um, take well, a look and, at the- and that's been the message and the yeah. philosophy behind the Bombardier safety stand down since the beginning. Mm-hmm. That the majority of the accidents we incur, and this is across the board, GA at large, business aviation specifically, uh, airline accidents, are caused by failures of the brain system that controls the human controlling the airplane as opposed to failures of the airplane itself. Yeah. So it's an interesting piece, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot. Go ahead, Jeb. I was going to say, aircraft are not falling out of the sky because ailerons come off. They're falling out of the sky because there's a loose nut behind the yoke. There you go, yeah. And um, Although it's always worked for you. Yeah, it's always worked for me. Um, Yeah, mechanical failures do occur. Um, but they're fairly rare. I would say mechanical failures are on par with running out of gas. Yeah. And, and right. um, um, you know, put some gas in the airplane. Um, don't fly in a thunderstorm. Don't fly into IMC. You know, get an instrument rating. Let's put it positive. Instrument rating is, 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 is worth every penny you're going to pay for it. Um, um, do a pre-flight, but worry more about, you know, the weather and worry more about the runway you're about to take off on and the run and the one you plan on landing on worry more about the way the aircraft is loaded worry more about 
how loaded it is with fuel. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, don't worry about whether or not the aileron is going to stay on. Chances are it's, it's, it'll be there when you get back. Um, but uh, if you don't worry about some of this other stuff, um, we'll read about you in an accident report. Yeah. So take a look at this article. Uh, it's in the uh, generalaviationnews.com website. Uh, the, the, uh, idle, idle, the article is headlined, Forget About Safety. It's by Janice Wood. And uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. You also might want to check out Red Bird Flight Simulations, all one word. And, of course, do check out uh, kingschools.com. Could I, could, I, could I toss in a quick and dirty? Uh, yeah, but. Only if it's dirty. Go ahead. Yeah, muddy dirty. Well, it's interesting that John and, and Martha bring this up right now. Uh, and I think they're spot on when they talk about scenario-based training in simulators, where there are scenarios designed to make you think and show you the outcome of your decisions, the things that you did not out. But it's interesting that this is coming along in this part of aviation at the same time that turbine aviation in general, business aviation and airlines specifically, are beginning to question whether they're not doing too much in simulators and not enough in the actual airplane. It just kind of struck me as ironic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, a lot of that, you know, the simulator thing and automation and all that, it starts to get into the, uh, the Air France 447 thing. I think we've got another little news item coming up here on the list about, uh, about something like that. But um, are we training for the correct things? Uh, yeah. How often does an engine fail? Um, clearly, we, we need to know how to deal with that. Uh, how often do we have multiple systems failures? How often you know, do we have to shoot an approach to, to, to minimum um, in the middle of all that? Uh, so, you know, instead, well, it's, maybe, it's, go ahead. I was, I was just thinking, you, you, you mentioned getting an instrument rating, you know, and how important it is. It's interesting that now, finally, the FAA is coming around to the idea of letting a primary student uh, also uh, start instrument training so that they can earn both the private and the instrument rating on the same check ride. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if uh, and that's last... a new thing. It's going to bulk up the hours some, but not like both of them together. You know, it's not like 40 and 40. It'll be – it's interesting that they're actually trying to move these things forward. This could help. Yeah. Jeb, you were going to say something, then we'll move on. Yeah. Uh, um, I think we talked about this. If we didn't, we should have the, the Part 6191 and, and 141 rewrite. Um and I think uh, I haven't I haven't delved into everything that's in there, but I think that uh, one of the things is, that's uh, in that rewrite is uh, uh, a student pilot uh, with the proper training, obviously, um, can on the same day he or she gets a private um, uh, certificate also get an instrument rating. Right, and that's a very 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 good thing. Back in the day, you know, back when uh, the Wright brothers were still alive, and, and I still had, and I was getting my my tickets, um, you had to have two hundred hours total time uh, yeah. to get an instrument rating, and now uh, that's come way way down. Uh, so all this is good, and, and all this is beneficial. And uh, if if uh, you know if someone wants to use an aircraft regularly for transportation, or just you know. Just regularly, safely, and, and uh, uh, eliminate some of the risk that we were just talking about. 
uh, get the instrument rating. Yeah. Yeah, the instrument rating will get you, uh, you know, 50% uh, more. You, it'll get you 50% of those weather days that being VFR only would be 100% off limits for. So, yeah, you know, it, it definitely expands your utility. So, Jeb, you mentioned uh, Air France 447. Um, th- there's sort of an oddball, semi-maybe-related re- story here that I wanted to bring up here. So I'm um, reading from uh, Bloomberg.com, a story in Bloomberg.com, a uh, headline, Air France says autopilot incident may aid Air France 447 crash probe. Um, Air France said the investigation of an autopilot shutdown during a flight from Paris to Caracas this month may offer insights into the crash of an aircraft in 2009. That's aircraft 447. Um, Quote, the Caracas incident includes some elements that might be illustrative. I like that, illustrative um, of the accident investigation, uh, says uh, Chief Executive Officer Pierre Henri Gorgion. Sorry about that. Um, that he said during a briefing for reporters. Um, in common with the 2009 crash, the Caracas Caracas-bound Airbus A340 experienced a rapid gain in altitude after the autopilot shut down. Investigation will show whether, quote, the plane climbed of its own accord. There's more here. But what I'm getting from this is that there's, there's a, they're wondering now whether, is it possible? You know, so, so the big thing about Air, Air, Air France 447 was that they had all this craziness and the pilot flying put the airplane into a climb, and no one can understand why he put it into a climb and thus aggravated the whole stalled situation. What this is suggesting is that maybe that wasn't a human, human-commanded climb. Is that, am I reading it right? Is that what this is wondering about? I, I, I think you're reading the article correctly, but I think the article is confused. Okay. What, how okay. is the article confused? Um, well, one of the key sentences in here, um, where was it? Um, in common with the 2009 crash, the Caracas-bound Airbus 340, not a 330, but 340, uh, experienced a rapid gain in altitude after the autopilot shut down. Okay. Um, so what we've done, we, we've, according to this article anyway, and, and we're dealing with Air France, we're dealing with Airbus, and we're dealing with uh, the mass media. So only God knows, only Allah knows what happened here, okay? But uh, um, investigation will show whether the plane climbed of its own accord. Um, how would it climb of its own accord if the autopilot was not disengaged? I don't, I don't understand what, what's, what the article is trying to say on one level. Yeah, well... Uh, on yeah. another level, okay, um, so the airplane is flying along, straight and level, it's supposedly it's trimmed, um, and the autopilot clicks off. What happens next? In my experience, nothing. Yeah. Okay, the airplane will continue to drone along just as it was trimmed. It's in a steady, it's in steady cruise. Um, the, the laws of uh, aerodynamics, the laws of, of stability would dictate that it would not do anything, at least initially, uh, until, unless it's disturbed. So why it's, it's, it's in this climb mode all of a sudden is anyone's guess. Now, in this, in this, this uh, most recent in- incident, 
I would speculate that uh, maybe one of the reasons the autopilot disconnected is someone um, um, gave it a significant nose-up input um, for some reason. But I think this is really apples and oranges. If we go back and we look at Air France 447, um, it's clear that the autopilot clicked off. It's clear that the autopilot clicked off because the PETA, because the air data sensors, um, um, air data computers were, were offline because the PETA tubes froze. It's further fairly clear, although we still don't have a, a, a final uh, resolution in the, in the accident investigation, it's fairly clear that one of the crew members gave it nose-up input. And we don't know why that is. We don't know if, if, if the, uh, the pilot flying at that particular point in time was reacting to something he saw in the instruments. We don't know if it was a, a, uh, a panic reaction. We don't know if it was supposedly how he or she had, how he had been trained. Um, but it's clear from the 447 investigation thus far that A, the autopilot was disengaged, and B, um, there were um, human inputs giving it a nose-up attitude. Okay. And so those, you're... In, those inputs continued. In this episode with this 340, uh, it's way too soon to tell, and I'm not going to go by this, this news article. Okay. David, anything you want to add to that? Well, I've wondered on a number of occasions about the computer logic to how the autopilot or the flight management system trims the airplane. When the crew sets it up, you know, it, it climbs to altitude, captures altitude, trims itself out. I've often wondered about the, the control logic that goes into that trimming act, actuation and, and whether the sudden disconnection of the autopilot might cause it to default to a different trim setting and that be the source of the pitching up, even if it wasn't intentional in the programming, uh, but an accident of code, if you will. Uh, as like Jeb said, you know, the positive indications that somebody influenced the pitch attitude in 447, but in this particular case, there doesn't seem to be the same human factor in the immediate reaction of the airplane. So, it's certainly something that would make me more attentive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Jeb, I wasn't aware that King Airs were disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> Where have all the King Airs gone? Apparently, the government's buying them all up, huh? Apparently What's, so. They're, what are they're they doing? Them, they're, they're outfitting them as, as airborne spook platforms, and they're sending them to the sandbox. Yeah. Which I guess, okay, that's an interesting story. The, the money quote for me, and I didn't catch this until I was just reading it before we started tonight. The money quote for me, uh, so this is from a story in uh, New York Times, uh, uh, enlisted in the world of airborne spying is the headline. And uh, um, so, like, just as you described, apparently the, and they talk about one particular King Air that was originally or, or previously owned by a doctor who had it all spiffed out and was a nice little personal airplane um, that then got bought by the Air Force and they, you know, stripped it down and sent it to, to wherever. Um, and I'm searching for the quote. Where did it go here? Um, I pulled it out. Anyways, I pulled it out in the thing. The quote. Oh, you, you did. It's on the list. The quote is uh, um, is that these airplanes are now being used. Quote now easing the load on the unmanned drones. <laughs> Which I just think. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold everything. There is a story here. This is a whole different story. All right. Is that. Uh, 
So now the drones are 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 <laughs> Skynet. It's Skynet, man. Skynet watch. Uh, the drones are now pressing human human piloted aircraft into service. This is like I don't know. It's just too too. I don't know something. Well, since when have we been overusing uh, the drone? Since when is 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 the the high activity level uh, among the unpiloted aircraft a problem? I thought that's what they were designed for. Yeah, well, no, you know the robots are like now telling us what to do, and uh, they're just, like tricking us into I don't know. Um, let's see now. It's now easing the load on unmanned drones for the United States in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, well, you know, all the military did in this particular case was uh, turn to an alternative source for the airframe because basically right. Yeah. Beach has been selling King Airs for special mission stuff like this since the King Air started back in the 60s. Uh, tells me that there's more of a demand for this kind of hardware than Hawker Beechcraft is able to keep up with right now. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I mean, it mean, means they're not getting... They could be selling new airplanes for this stuff if they had them available, but they're already building out everything they can in King Airs for the civilian market and for uh, prior military orders. So if the you know if the Pentagon folks want to add a bunch of new ones to the fleet, uh, the hot setup is uh, go snag some out of the more than ample used market, and have the conversion work done. Yeah, well, somewhere in here I think it's so, so, somewhere in here I think it's said that um, um, the the military de- demand has been so great for these King Air three fifties that they actually worked some deals with with Hawker Beechcraft and with um, uh, prospective purchasers to leapfrog a few serial numbers and get those airplanes out into the into the military field, uh, and and uh, private customers have have had to wait a little bit longer. That's what I'm reading from his from this. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm glad the uh, I'm glad the drones are getting a little bit of relief. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, we know. gotta we gotta take it easy yeah. on these drones. You know, even C-3PO needs a day off once in a while. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, we're running out of time here. I'm going to flip over all the cards. We're going to go to shout-outs here, and uh, I'm going to repurpose a couple of these as shout-outs. David, I'm going to suggest that uh, you want to make a shout-out to this Kansas City star writer who, who talks about the trimotor. Oh, yeah, Donald Bradley from the Kansas City Star. Yeah, after our many laments about badly done uh, reporting, on aviation, most most any part of aviation, but GA in particular. Uh, uh, Kansas City Star Writer, I've had friends work at the Star over the years. I do not know Mr. Bradley, but he sure got my attention with a really lovely, uh, we'd call them thumbsuckers uh, for the paper about EAA's Ford Trimotor being in Kansas City and being available to do rides. Uh, and he very nicely brought us up to speed on the airplane and, and, and its history uh, and did a nice job of dropping us into the internal environment, the sounds, you know, everything but the smell, basically, of uh, flying in the uh, passenger cabin of uh, that 29 Ford Trimotor. So... Uh, I, I felt like a chip of the wing to this guy. Nice job, Mister Bradley. You 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 could have a future in that business. Very nice, very nice. 
Uh, let's see now. I want to make a shout out to uh, the uh, the uh, Boeing C-17. Um, the Boeing B-17 recently passed it the the 20th anniversary apparently of its first flight uh, way back C-17. when. C-17. And it's C-17, been in service yeah. for six months. Yeah, I'm sorry. What did I say? I meant to say C-17. I must have said you, something you, else. You started out C-17, then you went to B-17. Yeah, the Boeing C Charlie 17, the Globemaster. Uh, right. And uh, a, a very very cool airplane. Um, I'm looking from a. I'm, we're reading from a story here in uh, FlightGlobal.com uh, where it says C-17 delivers 20th anniversary lesson for defense contractors. The the uh, the thrust of this story is uh, talking about how the C-17 had real big problems in the in, in the early uh, stages of its development program and uh, very nearly uh, did not come to uh, to the ramp, um, but. Uh, um, did eventually, and uh, and the story talks about some of the some of the smart decisions they made to move it along. Um, I don't know much about that. What I know is that this is a very cool airplane to watch fly, uh, and if you've never had a chance to see a C-17 do its flight demonstration at an air show, you really ought to try and find an opportunity because it's a lot of fun. This airplane flies. I mean, obviously doesn't fly like a fighter, but it kind of flies like a fighter. I mean, it just like really flies nicely. And, well, it's uh, it's snap roll takes a few more seconds. Yeah, I know. But the uh, the uh, short takeoff and landing capabilities of this airplane, um, it's just a very cool airplane. I've always liked this airplane, and uh, I always like watching it back up. Yeah, and the fact they can back it up, they like to do that on the uh, as part of the demonstration. They'll come in and land, and they'll stop on the runway, and then they'll back up a couple it, one or two lengths of the. And airplane. you you can tell the back. Backup lights come on first. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. that's right. No, I mean, all kidding aside, apparently what they'll have to do is they they uh, they lower the ramp on the back at least a little bit, and they have a spotter at the back of the airplane talking on the intercom to the pilot so that they can back up, you know, making sure they're clear. Um, but uh, it's a very cool airplane, and we congratulate it on the 20th anniversary of its first flight. Uh, that's very, very cool. Other shout-outs? Anybody? Jeb? Uh, yeah, real quick. Um, don't know who snapped the picture. Don't know the pilots. Don't know what happened. Um, but somewhere in Brazil, uh, there are three pilots who are still probably cleaning their shorts. Uh, and this has to do, I can't read, uh, my Portuguese uh, is not here, so I can't really read this. But there are six images that tell the tale. And uh, looking at um, uh, the first image is a Citation 2-ish, probably a Bravo or something like that. I don't know what they call them anymore. Uh, but it's a Cessna Citation 2 on a takeoff roll. And then you go to the next image, and um, uh, there's almost a profile shot of the same BizJet uh, still on the takeoff roll. And then the third image is, oh, my God, there's an airplane on the runway just in front of the Citation. And the citation is starting to rotate. Uh, it's it's now you're looking at a quartering shot from the rear, but there is a tail dragger. It ain't but maybe a couple of hundred yards in front of the citation, and the citation's got the nose up. It's off the ground. It's it's trying to get out from under. The next shot, which was real quick afterward, it, the the citation's closed half the distance to the tail dragger. Uh, it's just it's just off the ground. Not even a wingspan. Um, just barely higher than the tail dragger. Um, and the fifth shot is basically the citation is over the top of the tail dragger. Um, uh, maybe a wingspan and a half, maybe two wingspans of the citation above the ground. Easily, well, not so easily, but clearing 
clearing the tail dragger. And then, and then the sixth and final shot is the citation goes on its way and the tail dragger continues to roll out. Um, someone needs to do a little bit better job of figuring out which runway to take off from or land on. Yeah, and, man, oh, man. And, I'm and, looking at these and, pictures. That's yeah, yikes. Yeah, that's a yikes. And uh, I just, I just, I'm just glad I didn't have to clean out that set of underwear. That's all I can say. <laughs> you, have to, you have to wonder who needed fresh underwear most. Well, you, 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 on one level, you kind of wonder if the guy in the tail drag even knew what was going on. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm trying to. I'm looking at these pic, the sequence of pictures, and like you said, there's only three or four that show the tail dragger. But I'm trying to decide whether it looks like he was landing or trying to take off. Um, it looks to me like he was landing. That would be my guess, or he certainly aborted the landing. And uh, yeah. on the other hand, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a good thing the tailwheel guy didn't try to go around. Yeah, really. I mean, I you know, I don't know if I, would, I don't know if I had the presence of mind, but looking at the pictures like this, it seems to me that the tail dragger guy should have just should have just uh, uh, you know ground looped it and gotten off. the I was going to say, I was going to say, just head for the corner. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's you know, you're so focused, you know, you're not looking, and and I guess the fourth the fourth really cool player in all this is the shooter. Yeah, the guy who got all these images. Uh, right place, right time, and and uh, I don't, I wonder if he knew what he had when he when the camera was still up at his eye, or if he only later when he saw these that uh, he's like, oh wait a second, yeah, that, that, that's there. funny. Sometimes you don't discover the stuff till you get it back. That's right. Yeah, and he we'll went, oh wow, looky there. We'll definitely put this in the show notes because it's uh, it's not in English, but it's it's full ha. Oh man, see, I can't even begin to to tell you it's. Folha, F-O-L-H-A dot com, but it's actually Folha dot U-O-L dot com, dot Brazil. It's just kind of an ugly URL, so I can't even begin to tell here to tell it here. Um, but Quase, Quase Colosio Um Caruyo, which means, holy crap, up. there's an airplane in front of me. Uh, give it up. Just yeah, give I know. it up. I know. <laughs> we'll put the show notes in the, uh, well, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. Google is asking me to translate it. Uh, near collision in Kararu. Okay. Um, uh, jet charred by the water wing water wing band. I'm not sure that they had a fun day. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's see what else. Moments later, a plane lands in the, in the basically in the in the uh, opposite direction. So the, the tail dragger was landing. Um, and um, phew, closey. Yeah, yeah, really. Closely. Really. That's a closely. So That's all go. I got. Anything else? No. Stick a fork in it. Okay. Uh, Dave Higdon, uh, good talking with you. Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Uh, David, where can people find you on the internet? Avbuyer.com, AEA.net. Uh, let's see. I'm showing up in EAA Sport Aviation this month, so you can find me at EAA.org. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, uh, as we mentioned earlier, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, a good place to start would be AviationSafetyMagazine.com. And there's always JEBurnside.com. Sometimes AvWeb, sometimes AEA.net, uh, or you can just use the Google thing and, and uh, ignore all that stuff about the goats. Uh, lots of good possible episode titles here. Let's see now. We've got High Drag Fall. We've got 
an accident of code, um, and possibly my favorite is Thumbsuckers. Anyways, we'll see what comes out of all that. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And by the way, so, so people are really latching onto this now. New media producer never <laughs> meant that I was new at it, right? This I, is now I turning up it. in the forums. It's turning. I over. got it the first time. I don't yeah, understand. I know. New new media producer means that I am a producer of what they call new media, like internet media, like podcasts. And, it's hyphenated. And internet, it's hyphenated. Well. It's hyphenated in the notes here in the script, but I guess they never saw the script. So I, I, I always heard the hyphen. Jeb heard the hyphen. Uh, yeah, and apparently some people didn't, though. But I'm a, I'm a producer of new media, and you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much, just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings web page of fame, and all and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Flying's good for your health because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So long. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. You have to get up pretty early in the morning to catch us peeking through your bedroom I just don't even know what that means. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.